Well, what a week we have had. Amen. Uh, I'm not talking about my family's vacation. That was blessed and wonderful. I'm just talking about, and I see the, the newlyweds in the back, Andre and Loretta Hearn, all the honey. It was right there in that corner. Right there. Amen. Good to see y'all. That brother was picking his bride up all the ceremony and out in the middle of the street. And, amen. Woo, woo, woo. Yeah, but we did have a week. We did have a week now. Uh, on Monday in Texas, the local Senate passed a bill to remove Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, Susan B. Anthony, and Native American history from required curriculum while stating that educators are not to teach that the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacy are morally wrong. Uh, that happened in Texas on Monday. On Tuesday in Alabama, we learned of a city leader who used the N-word in a council meeting towards a black woman. And after all of the media attention came to that small town, this white man went on to say he will not apologize, he will not resign, and he just might run for mayor. And then on Friday, at least things got a little bit better, in Nashville, the hideous monstrosity, the Nathan Bedford Forest bus was finally removed from the halls of the state capitol. Finally removed after being there since 1978. Finally removed. People say, oh, that doesn't mean anything. Oh, yes, it does. Because they fought so hard to keep it in place. Yeah, yeah. It does mean a lot. Symbols do matter. Representation matters. And so now he'll be placed in a museum where we can learn his history in context and the things that he did, the crimes he committed against humanity, namely against black people. So yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's a new day. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to go as far as I can today. I don't know what might happen now. I'm, I'm, I want to finish uh, this message, but we might not. It's all right. I have a preaching calendar, but I'm not ruled by it. Man devises the way, God directs the steps. So this is part two from the message last week, the Bible and slavery. And if we got to go part three next week, we will. But I'm gonna, uh, let me pray since my organist is here. Uh, this brother, you, you see this brother go from the beatbox to the organ. Thank you, Wendell. Thank you for being a servant of God. And you always do it with a smile, man. Love you so much and appreciate you. Amen. I didn't know the brother could play like that. Amen. Uh, uh, B flat. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Oh, Lord. All right, let's pray. Oh, Daddy, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for not only leading us, but for also feeding us. The Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not want, we shall not lack. Jesus, you told Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And Father God, I come now to feed your people. 
and your people are to feed on the milk and the meat of the word of God. Lord, for every new believer, every milk drinker under the sound of my voice, I pray that they would get some nourishment this morning. And for every meat eater, for every more developed believer, I pray that they'll get something that they can cut and chew today. Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do, and that is reveal Jesus to us. Teach us the word. Take us beyond mere intellectual capabilities and go deep into our soul. Transform us by the renewing of our mind through the word of God today. Teach us, even as we delve into a sensitive topic, a topic that makes many of us uncomfortable. It surely isn't easy for me to preach these things. But you did tell us to preach the whole counsel, and within the counsel of the word of God, we find slavery. So Lord, make it make sense for us. Give us the strength to apply the things we're about to learn and hear or be reminded of. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light. Help us to be unashamed of the gospel. Help us to be men and women who recognize that although we are in this country, our citizenship is from above. That we are ambassadors here representing another kingdom here on earth. And it's our prayer that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That the rulership, the authority of Jesus Christ will be recognized in our lives, in this church, in this community, in our country, and in the world. Because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We choose to do it now. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, the Messiah, we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. Now it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So with your prayers and of course with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's talk today on the Bible and slavery, part two. The Bible and slavery, part two. The article that award-winning journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones wrote for the 1619 Project has been loved by some and hated by others. The 1619 Project came out in 2019. It was published in the New York Times, and it commemorated the 400th anniversary of Africans being brought to this country. Her work is seen as controversial because she dared 
to reframe the story of America. This black woman dared to reframe the romantic, nostalgic story of America and the founding fathers and the idealism that they held. And she chose to center the enslaved as the vehicles who would make America experience the democracy that they talked about. Because democracy was a hypocrisy. Because when the words of the Declaration of Independence came forth about all men being created equal and were endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights of those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that didn't speak of the enslaved. That didn't speak of the indigenous people groups, the all men, and it surely didn't speak of women. Women weren't able to vote until 1920. And so we do need a Susan B. Anthony to speak up for the cause of women's suffrage. But at that time, in 1776, when those words were penned, put together by Thomas Jefferson, the democracy that that document espoused was really a document of hypocrisy. And Martin Luther King would have to come along 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1963 in his I Have a Dream speech that Texas does not want taught in its curriculum. And he went on to say that 100 years after emancipation, the black person in America still is not free. But he said, I believe that the, the, the bank of justice in America uh, has enough in it to ensure a better life, not only for white people, but for all people in this country. So today I wanna do what Nicole Hannah-Jones did and I want to center the one who is on the margins. Because what she did in her writing, she said, let me center the people who are just mentioned as an afterthought, that yes, slavery occurred in America, but let's talk about the founding fathers and their great faith. But she said, no, let's center the marginalized in this story because without them, without us, democracy would not be realized in this country. And so she centers the enslaved. And today I'm going to center a slave today from the text that we just read in your hearing. I, I'm going to center this slave girl today. Uh, we normally just read right over her to get to the next portion when Paul and Silas are in jail and they start praising God at midnight and then jailhouse rock starts happening before Elvis did it. The, the jail starts rocking and the doors are, oh, we love that part, but we skip right over the miracle before the miracle. And so I'm going to center this slave girl today. The Bible doesn't tell us much about her. We see here in verse 16 that she was a slave girl, a certain slave girl. I don't want to go to the King James Version. We talked about that last week. They called her a certain damsel in the King James Version. But the New King James Version in the NIV called her a slave girl. And like most slaves, we don't know her name. Like most slaves, we don't know her race or her ethnicity. Like most slaves, we don't know her age. Like most slaves, her value was only found in her ability to produce profit for her masters. But like all slaves, she was exceedingly powerless 
in a male-dominant society. But still, we center her. We center her in this message, and, and I will go so far as to posit that her deliverance from demonic possession was also her moment of conversion. Not only that, it was her deliverance that led to the salvation of the Philippian jailer a few verses later. So this woman who often gets overlooked, we're, we're going to center her today. So the first point is, let's take a closer look at this slave. A closer look at the slave. Verse 16 of the New King James Version says that a certain slave girl, so she was a slave. And uh, I asked the question, how did she become a slave? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us how she became a slave, but just to review last week, there are several reasons why people in the days of antiquity would become slaves. It could be over the fact that she was born into slavery. It might be that her parents sold her into slavery. It might be that her parents sold her for the purposes of paying off a debt. It might be that she was taken in war, that uh, she was part of the group of people that were taken because their nation, their country, their community lost a war. She may have committed a crime. She may have had a debt that she sold herself for in order to work off or to pay off. Or she might have been kidnapped. We don't know how she became a slave, but the Bible tells us that she was a slave girl. And verse 16 says that she was possessed with a spirit of divination. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how she got possessed with this spirit of divination. There's no telling what she was exposed to or what she opened herself up to. But here's a lesson for us all. Don't play with the demonic. Don't play with the dark realm because it's real. A spirit of divination is literally, based on the Greek language, a spirit of python. A spirit of python. What is a python? A python is a large snake. A python is not only large, it is strong, and it takes its prey over by squeezing it to death so that the prey suffocates and dies. So this woman has within her a large spirit, a strong spirit, a spirit of suffocation. It's killing her. She's working for the spirit, but the spirit is killing her. Now, when we think about Python, we know a Python is in the snake family. And we know that Satan comes not only as an angel of light, but also as a serpent, as a snake so basically, what this is saying is this woman has a demon in her, she has a devilish spirit in her, and it has a strong grip on her. It's killing her. It's suffocating her. It has control over her. She is bound by it. But it also allows her to fortune tell. And to be a fortune teller in that day, it meant that someone was able to supposedly predict the future. 
by reading palms, by using crystals and a crystal ball, or even by practicing magic. In the book of Acts, later on, it talks about when Paul went into Ephesus and people came to Christ. There was a revival there. And many of the people who came, they were practicing magic arts and darkness and witchcraft. But when they came to Christ, they burned their magic scrolls and books. So it was prevalent in that day, witchcraft, darkness, and and she had a spirit in her that would fortune tell. And the Bible lets us know in verse 16 that she brought her masters, notice plural, much money, much profit, because it's always about the money, the love of money, and evil go hand in hand. That's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money is a tool, but many of us allow money to make us fools, and we sell ourselves to make the buck. But my question is, as she made her masters much profit, how much money did she make? Because typically, slaves didn't share in the spoils, didn't share in the profit. The slave master really had the belief that as long as I feed you and clothe you, uh, uh, that's the benefit that you get. You don't get none of this profit. You don't get any of this money. You ought to be happy that I put clothes on your back. And that was the narrative back in the day for slaves. And even when many of my white evangelical friends would try to even defend that era by saying it wasn't that bad, sure, they were counted as three-fifths of a person, but it wasn't that bad. They had, ho- had a preacher tell me this, had housing, they had clothing, but I'm like, bro, they didn't have their freedom. But it wasn't that bad. Yes, it was. And she prophesied truth about Paul's ministry. Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us. That's Luke writing, us. We're into the we passages. He's a firsthand witness of what's going on. So Luke is writing, and he says, this girl followed Paul and us. And in the us, you've got Silas, you've got Timothy. There's a group of these gospel globetrotters going around sharing the good news. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did that for many days. So she was prophesying truth, in this case, about Paul and his ministry. You see, the spirit in her, the the spirit, small s, in her, was drawn to the spirit in them, capital S. You see, they're in the natural realm, but there was a lot going on in the spiritual realm, the unseen realm. And the spirit in her was drawn to the spirit of God in them. The unclean was drawn to the holy. The the, the spirit of falsehood and lies was drawn to the spirit of truth. Because demons did this with Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, verses 33 through 35, when Jesus would go places into synagogues, where there were unclean, demonic spirits in synagogues, in the church. When Jesus would come in, the Lord of hosts, the the, the heavenly hosts, the angelic hosts, when the Lord walked in, those spirits spoke up and said, you are the son of the living God. They knew who he was. Because over in James, it says that even the demons believe 
They believe, they know. And when the king walked in, they acknowledged his kingship. You are the son. And Jesus said, be quiet. I don't want y'all saying who I am because I don't want y'all to confuse people with your testimony. Be quiet. Matter of fact, come out that person. So Jesus would tell them spirits to hush. And notice what she called Paul and Silas in verse 17. She said, these men are the servants of the Most High God. Got to go into the Greek now. The word servants is the Greek word doulos. Doulos. Keep that in mind. Write that down. The, The word doulos. And this means in bondage as a servant or a slave. Doulos. You are in bondage as a servant or as a slave, doulos. A servant may have been in bondage to a master, but they were not always under the ownership of a master because not every servant was a slave, but every slave was a servant. A slave was in bondage to a master and always under ownership. Servant status was often temporary, meaning that you could get out of being a servant and one day become an owner, whereas slave status was always permanent. So based on the context is how you would interpret the word doulos as servant or as slave. Now, this woman who is a slave recognizes that there's some other slaves here. She is a slave for Python, for the devil. They are servants, I like to say, slaves of the Most High God because they don't want to break away from him. They want to stay submitted to him for life. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they are servants of the Most High God, but doulos, they're also slaves of the Most High God. Matter of fact, Paul describes himself as a doulos in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. A doulos. He says, uh, based on the New Living Translation of Romans 1.1, Paul says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. So other versions will say, Paul, a bond servant. Paul, a servant. But the New Living Translation says, Paul, a slave. I just think slave hits a little bit differently than bond servant. I think slave just says, man, I am in total dependence and reliance and submission to the Lord. I'm not a servant where I'm here today and I might be gone tomorrow. I'm a slave. I like the word slave. I like how New Living Translation does this. Uh, because when Paul is writing his letter to the Romans, remember I said last week, One out of every three people in Rome was a slave. So immediately when his letter opens up and people are standing there in the house church or in the community or in the marketplace to hear the word of the Lord read by Phoebe, because Phoebe carried the word. She was a minister. She was a deaconess for Paul. She carried that letter to that church. And not only that, she proclaimed what was in that letter. She was the reader. She was teaching a mixed congregation of believers and unbelievers, Phoebe. And she opened up the book and said, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. And if I'm a slave in that culture, I'm going to listen a little bit more because they just came down my street and dropped some mail off in my box. It hit me where I'm living, a slave, a slave. And so Paul, he says, I'm a slave of Jesus. So when we read this text, one slave recognize some other slaves uh, because it takes one to know one. Uh, One slave uh, who's a slave to Satan 
recognizes slaves to the most high God. Oh, it's about to get good. But let me digress and say Romans 6.22. Romans 6.22 says that we, if you know the Lord, and he's rescued you from being a slave to sin to now being a slave of righteousness, Romans 6.22 says that we are slaves of God. We are slaves of God. I know there's a whole lot of identity talk going around, and we should know who we are in Christ, that I'm blessed, that I'm forgiven, that I'm redeemed, that I'm a saint. All that, man, we need that, but rarely does it enter into, and I'm a slave of God. Because that, that seems to be beneath us, but you need to hold on because the thing that we think is beneath us may even be above us and beyond us. There's a dignity, a dignity in being a slave. We know the song that Israel Houghton sings, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. But have you heard the remix? I am a slave of God. I am a slave of God. He calls me slave. That, that one's not too popular on the top 40 in the gospel music. But examine what this slave girl said. She said that these are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us, us, the way of what? Salvation. She's proclaiming to us the way of salvation. So she's lost, but she knows the gospel is being communicated. She's possessed by a spirit, but she knows the gospel, the way of salvation is being communicated, not just to them, but to us. So she's demon-possessed with python, but the gospel seeds by Paul and the guys, it's being sprinkled and it's hitting her heart. And she's going around at this point telling the truth. These men are here proclaiming to us the way of salvation. This means she heard the gospel. This means she heard how Jesus came to save us from our sin. So we heard what she said. Now, look at what she did. She followed them day by day and cried out. So, so she's following them around. They're going around preaching and telling people, hey, let me tell you about the Lord. Uh, God loves you. God made a way for you to be right with him, to be forgiven of your sins, to be adopted, to be cleansed, and all of that. They're telling the good news to people, and she's walking around behind them. These men are servants of the Most High God. They're telling us the way of salvation. And she did this for days. And the Bible says, let's see here, in verse, where am I at? 16, uh, no, 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 verse 18. And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned around and said to the spirit. So, so in other words, Paul trying to work, preach the gospel, and this woman with this spirit is getting on his last nerve. See, y'all got to read the scripture and see the human, human element in it. We always think Paul's just dancing around, and, you know. No, he was a dude. He's like, this, this woman getting on my last nerve up in here. He was irritated. And as a pastor, Chauncey, this helps me because every now and then I get irritated. Anyway, uh, I'm arrived. I'm arrived. <laughs> so he says to the spirit, and this also tells me, even though as an apostle, he could do exorcisms, that was not his primary motivation for his ministry. He came to preach just like Jesus came. Jesus exercised demons, but he came to preach the gospel. Be careful. Watch out for ministries that focus so much 
on the existential and the supernatural. Everything's about a demon and not enough about the gospel. Well, just, just, just watch out. Just watch. Now, now, we're not so gospel-centered. We're not uh, spiritually aware or conscious. It's just that we don't elevate the supernatural and the demonic realm to the point where, where it's so sensationalized that the gospel seems boring. So watch out for ministries and people who find a demon under every rock. Paul is like, I'll exercise this demon, but I'm only going to do it because she got on my nerves. You see, you see that? Some of my best ministry comes when I do stuff that I don't feel like doing. You know, I'm somewhere I don't feel like talking to this person. I'm in the grocery store. Uh, hey, hey, Pastor Chris. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Amen. But, but you know what? But then I start talking to the person and it ends up being a blessed moment. So I get where homeboy Paul is coming from here. Uh, God uses reluctant ministers. Jonah, anyone? Uh, God uses reluctant ministers because it's not so much the minister. It's the word that the minister is communicating. Oh, my God. So Paul commanded that spirit to come out of her and notice she didn't have to give him any money to get her blessing. Uh, uh, notice that it came out that very hour. She didn't have to, you know, wait for days or whatever to be delivered from the spirit or touch the television, roll around on the floor. The authority of God came right there. And he said, come out of her. And it was done. And so these men came and they were used by God to help free this woman up. She was delivered of that spirit. Now, here's the good news. Uh, uh, Paul exercised or evicted the demonic spirit. And it didn't come back. Because in verse 19, it says that when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone. So however she got this spirit, she wouldn't get that spirit again whether they oversaw her getting this evil spirit in her, whatever, they saw that their hope of making money was gone. Their slave was now broken. She didn't work anymore. She didn't work for them. And so therefore they said, man, our money is gone because the spirit is gone. And so when Paul exercised the spirit, it didn't come back. The demonic spirit could have come back based on what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 12, verse 24 through 26. I'm staying in Luke because Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts and Luke was a medical doctor. So his words have a lot of meaning when we're talking about these kinds of things. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus talks about when a spirit is exercised from a person and it leaves that person and it goes out into arid spaces. But then it has a propensity to come back to the place that it was evicted from after it has been swept clean. So the place is clean, but there's no one now inhabiting it. So that spirit comes back to that clean place, that person who experienced the eviction of the spirit, and, and it comes back and it brings with it other demons who are stronger than the demon that was evicted. And, and so, so, so the spirit could have come back into this woman. But you know why the spirit couldn't come back into this woman? Because someone else was living there. <laughs> someone else was occupying that empty space in her life. The spirit of the living God was now in this woman. So her deliverance became her conversion. That spirit could not come back in because greater is he that is in us than he that is in Oh, you don't hear me today. Uh, someone more powerful was now living inside of her. And when Jesus delivered the demoniac in the Gospels, this, this, this demon legion was on him. 
thousands or hundreds of demons rather in him. Jesus delivered this man and he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And this woman had been delivered through the ministry of Paul in the name of Jesus Christ. And the spirit not only set her free, but also came to indwell in her. That's what I believe. The spirit could not come back because she was under new management. Anybody here under new management? Anybody got the spirit of God living inside of you? And the Bible says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, we're to have communion with the Holy Spirit. We listen to the Holy Spirit. We pray to God in the Holy Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We're filled with the fruit of the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for the Spirit of God who bears witness with our spirit that we're sons and daughters of the living God. I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that I'm born again because the Spirit of the living God has told me. Oh, I hope you have this confidence and assurance. But secondly, let's look at a closer look at the slave master. I don't want to spend long on these clowns. I don't want to spend long on these clowns, but they were slave masters, according to 16, verse 16, who brought her masters, verse 19, but when her masters, my question is, how do people become slave masters? A better question is, why do people become slave masters? If you're taught that you're better than everyone, of course, then being a slave master will be a natural response to your errant belief system. Why did Christians become slave masters of African people? Because their belief system told them that it was okay. They even lied on God in the process of being a slave master. Her slave masters lost their hope of profit, verse 19. They didn't care about her. They cared about the money. They didn't want to see her free from them or from the demonic spirit. Uh, it makes me wonder what kind of spirit they were under. We know what she was under. What were they under? Her slave masters took out their frustration on Paul and Silas. Uh, verse 19, Acts 16, 19. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They seized them. They arrested them. They grabbed them. They, they apprehended them. And not only that, they dragged them. So masters, at least two, at least two. You got Paul and Silas, two men. Paul and Silas could have fought back, but they chose to resist through nonviolent means, passive resistance. They, 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 they allowed themselves to be dragged. Matter of fact, they outnumbered because there was also Timothy and Luke, but still they submitted to this injustice. And when you drag something, it speaks of the value of what you're dragging. Normally we drag garbage, junk, trash. We carry things that are precious. We drag stuff. So, so we see the disrespect for the Imago Dei in Paul and Silas, that they seized these guys and they just dragged them. It reminds me when Michael Brown was executed in Ferguson, how they left his body in the middle of the street without even being covered for hours because it was making a statement. They were making a statement that his life did not matter. There was no dignity brought to the deceased 
So they're dragging Paul and Silas. Her slave masters used the courts, that is the legal system, against Paul and Silas. Look at verse 19. They, they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about it's important to have righteous judges in place. Verse 20, and they brought them to the magistrates or to the judges. And they said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is why people don't want to do the right thing, because doing the right thing can cost you. All we did was preach the gospel and evict an unclean spirit, and now we've been seized, dragged, stripped, beaten, thrown in jail and thrown into the inner prison. My God. But I have to ask a question. Do you think Paul and Silas were going to get a fair trial in their court system? No, 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 no. No, not only weren't they going to get a fair trial, they didn't get a fair trial because the magistrates had already come to a conclusion without there even being any kind of trial. When the judges, let me back it up, when the police act like judge, juror, and executioner on the street because they're on the street here. Can justice prevail? Is there a such thing as justice when the courts jump to a conclusion and maintain that someone is guilty? You see, here's something about black folks. I'm, I'm going to give you all a little secret. I'm going to let you all in. We don't get the benefit of the doubt. We have on us the burden of proof. We're not innocent until proven guilty. We're guilty. I know some of y'all don't like that. I know, I know, I know, I know you don't like it, but it's true. <laughs> and Paul and Silas, they, they, they weren't going to get a fair trial. They didn't get a fair trial. Matter of fact, let, let, let me talk about something else that happened this week. Paul Hodgkins of Florida. He was arrested uh, for the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And his case, his trial was held last week and he was sentenced to eight months in prison for going into the Capitol, breaching the Capitol, disrupting a congressional process in the Electoral College of counting and, and the votes, not counting the votes, but, but formalizing, accepting the votes that he and a mob of other people went in and he came in carrying a flag, wearing a Trump shirt, having goggles and rope. But he pleaded before the judge and said, I can't go to jail because I have a job and I'll, I'll lose my job. Can you have mercy on me? And this is the first case that's been tried so far of all those people that rioted, all those so-called patriots that was in the insurrection. Here's the first one, which sets the standard for the other ones. 
The prosecutor was asking for one year, five months for going into the Capitol. One year, five months. And the brother ended up getting eight months with two years of supervised release. Wow. But Crystal Mason of Texas, no, 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 that's different now. Put that picture back up. Crystal Mason, she is facing a five-year prison sentence for voting as a felon in 2016. Um, she had gotten out of prison. She was under supervision. Uh, it was 2016. Her mother said, go vote, go vote. And she wanted to vote for Hillary Clinton to see the first woman become president. So she went to vote in Dallas, Texas. She gets there, her name is not on the roll. And so the people at the poll suggest that she participate, I forget the term, but it's a different kind of poll where they give you the ability to vote. I forget the name of it, I didn't write it down, forgive me. But she goes ahead and she attempts to cast a vote with this special ballot. And then they come back to her a couple of months later and they say, you voted illegally, so therefore you're violating your parole. We're gonna sentence you for 10 months for that and we're going to give you five years for even doing that, for, for attempting to vote illegally. And, and again, she says she didn't know. The people at the poll told her to try this. And she didn't read the back and all the stuff. So, you know how they say innocence of the law or, or uh, 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 ignorance of the law doesn't equal innocence of the law. So she's saying, listen, uh, 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 I've turned my life around. I have a full-time job working at a bank. I'm going to night school. I'm, I'm going to beauty school. I'm trying to show my children that one mistake doesn't define you. So she's asking for mercy from the courts. One guy gets eight months for storming the Capitol. They're going to give her five years for voting as a felon. You, you tell me, is that just? Is that right? No, and I'm just here to let you know, as I said a couple weeks ago, Lady Justice is not blind. She sees. But let me call out something else to you now. The oppressors made this thing racial. See, I know for some of us, it's never racial. It's never racial. But let me go to what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 20, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews, why you got to say they Jews? What, what does that matter? We're all human, right? Part of the human race. There's no race. It's just the human race. Why, why, why you got to say they Jews? And then why y'all got to say that we being Romans? Because Romans versus Jews. Oh, oh, race was brought in to this thing. But again, these men were stripped, beaten, whipped, just like slaves, thrown into prison. Their word meant nothing. And what the courts did to Paul and Silas was a clear act of injustice. Pastor, why do you say that? Uh, look at verse 35. Look at verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. 
And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrate. What were the words? That Paul said, I'm a Roman. Y'all be the Roman. So they told these words and, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Why? Because if you beat a Roman unjustly, the death penalty awaits you. Because Roman citizenship was to protect Roman citizens. But you beat them and charged them and incarcerated them without asking to hear their side of the story. Without asking who they were. You jumped to conclusions. Verse 39. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. An injustice occurred. Paul was a Roman. Well, before we leave and go home, I, I, I told you about the, the, the slave girl. I, I took a closer look at the slave masters. But, but before we leave, I, I need this for my soul. Can we center another slave from this passage? There's another slave. We, we see the slave girl. We see the slaves of Paul and, and Silas. But there's another slave in this story. And that slave is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is mentioned in this story. If we're not careful, we, we, we would read right over him, just like a slave. Uh, uh, if we're not careful, we would miss the power that is resident in this slave named Jesus. Look at verse 18. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, not in the name of positive thinking, not in the name of education, not in the name of pharmaceutical help. No, in the name of Jesus Christ. Education has its place. Pharmacy has its place. Let's just say it's second place. In the name of Jesus Christ, the name that makes demons tremble. Jesus Christ, that every knee will bow things in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, Pastor Chris, why are you calling him a slave? Man, I'm offended by this, man. Keep on listening. You'll get offended more. Uh, the Old Testament says that Jesus was a slave. He was God's slave. In Isaiah 52, verse 13, God calls his son, my servant. It's the Hebrew word, ebed, which is often translated in the Bible as slave. So God is saying that his son is my slave. In Isaiah 53, verse 11, God calls his son, my righteous servant. The word servant, again, is abed, which means Jesus is God's servant. He is also God's slave. And like a slave, I'm almost done. Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Like a slave, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Like a slave, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish that work. Like a slave, Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. And like a slave, Jesus washed feet. Like a slave, Jesus died a cruel, unjust, violent, and public death. You do know in America, whenever they would whip a slave, they would whip a slave in public in order to send a message to the other slaves, y'all need to become docile, not resistive, because if you remain resistive, the same thing is going to happen to you. 
This is why, again, the enslaved could identify with the slave Messiah because he was whipped, he was bruised, he was put out for public scorn and embarrassment. You see, the New Testament, not just the Old Testament, the New Testament says that Jesus was a slave. He was God's slave. In Exodus 21, 32, 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. How much did Judas get when he sold G Jesus out? Matthew 26, 15 says he got 30 pieces of silver. I'm just in the book here. I'm just in the book. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 7 from the New Living Translation Put it this way, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. What's the Greek word? Doulos. Yeah, it can be called servant, but it can also be translated slave. Jesus was a slave. And I just want to know, does Jesus being a slave trouble you? Or does it encourage you? Can you worship a Jesus who was once a slave? Is that beneath you? To worship a Jesus who was a slave? Now, that's not all that Jesus was, but he was a slave. So in conclusion, I, I imagine this slave girl was drawn to the message of hope proclaimed by a team of slaves who worked for God. She said, they're proclaiming the way of salvation to us. She's hearing the hope of the gospel as they talk about Jesus Christ, who is a slave, the slave of God, who came down from heaven to earth in order to free us from our enslavement, from our enslavement to sin, because whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, Jesus said, from our enslavement to Satan, and from our enslavement to the grave and even to self. He came to set us free from being a slave to those things to become his slave. And let me go a little further. Let me go a little further. I love this. Acts 16 talks about some women who got converted down by the riverside. One of them was named Lydia. And she let Paul and the guys into her house. So, so if I use my sanctified imagination, I have to believe that her house would eventually end up becoming a church house because Paul would go to the riverside to pray and Lydia would be there. So when this slave girl had this python evicted from her and the spirit of the living God poured into her, she didn't have her masters anymore. She had God, but she would also need community. I wonder if those women that we read about in Acts 16 put their arm around the slave girl and said, come on, you're with us now. I have to believe that that happened. I have to believe that because her testimony is similar to Mary Magdalene when Jesus cast seven devils out of her. She found community with those women, a slave. <laughs> well, there was a woman born into slavery in 1797, question mark. Was that her birth date? Because slaves, there were no records really kept, kept on when they were born. So, so 1797 question mark, don't know the month, don't know the day. Many times slaves would date when they were born by the season. It was Christmas time. It, it was harvest time. They didn't really know the date. 
But this woman was born, Isabella Bomfrey. And this woman escaped to freedom in 1826. She gave herself the name Sojourner Truth in 1843 because she went against the grain and said, oh, I heard God. He called me to travel the country and preach his word and to preach the truth about the abolition of slavery and the acquisition of equal human rights for all women. So Sojourner Truth, she sojourned telling the truth. Born in slavery, escaped from slavery, and became a preacher of God. In 2009, a, a memorial bust of Sojourner Truth was unveiled in the U.S. Capitol, making her the first African-American woman to have a statue in the Capitol building. In 2014, Sojourner Truth was included in the Smithsonian Magazine's list of the 100 most significant Americans of all time. Is anybody glad that God saved a slave named Isabella and turned her into Sojourner Truth? I know a lot of people at that time were, were so glad that God not only saved her, but touched her to preach his word. You see, whenever the gospel liberates a physical slave, that is to man, or a spiritual slave to sin, God's kingdom comes a little closer to earth. Whenever God's gospel liberates a slave, whether physical or spiritual, God's kingdom comes a little closer to earth. And in Acts 16, God's kingdom came. When this insignificant slave girl ran into the God who loved her dearly and he set her free. And I have to believe like Sojourner Truth that her story really just began. The Bible doesn't tell us, but when I get to heaven, I want to find her. Girl, tell me what else happened in your life because I know God didn't just save you to get that spirit out of you. I know he saved you to use you to be a vessel and a mouthpiece for his glory and for his kingdom. God. And I just want to know, is there anyone here who, who needs to be freed by Jesus? Is there anybody here that is, whom the son says free is free indeed? You've never trusted Jesus. Today will be a great day to let him set you free. Or it might be someone here, you've been set free, but you don't have community. You don't have community. And uh, I'm going to hang around after church today. And if you've been coming for a while and you say, you know what, Pastor Chris, Pastor Jerry, I feel like this place is supposed to be my community for such a time as this. Come shake my hand and, and let me know that the Lord is leading you to be a part of this family. I'll be right here after church. I'll put a breath mint in so I don't offend you. And I'll be right here to talk to you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word of God. How you speak to things. In that culture, of course, but the application hits us in ours today. Lord, we heard a lot today. But would you help us be like the Berean Christians and go home and look this stuff over and read it and, and try to get new lenses, new eyes as the word of God is expanding our understanding. Lord, help us not to be defensive. Help us not to be so committed to whiteness or so committed to being an American that it shrouds the ability for us to hear the truth and be set free. Help us to be honest, Lord, with where we are. If we're angry, let us be honest with it. But let us grapple with it. Let us get into the word 
so the word can get into us. And again, Father, I pray, I know it's your heart that no one should perish. So if there's someone listening under the sound of my voice, either in this building or online, and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the great liberator and emancipator who came to set you free from guilt and shame and degradation, you must trust him. Open up your mouth and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, save me. And he'll come into your life and you'll be a new person. <laughs> and Lord, for those who are looking for a community, maybe even people online need, need to say, you know what? I watch Strong Tower and I want to be a part of that community online. Lord, show us how to shepherd those as well. For the members of our church who are not here, we pray an encouragement upon them. Bless them, meet them. Thank you, God. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And for his sake, amen. Amen.